This whole week, this octave of Easter has been blessed with one episode after another, dealing with the resurrection accounts, all exhibiting various persons or parties, various locations and kinds of scenery, as well as a number of varying salutations or lessons and instructions that Jesus gives in those moments. And here, when we celebrate Divine Mercy Sunday, we're, um, we come to the final appearance for the disciples in John's Gospel behind locked doors. Some followers acknowledge their faith after having seen Jesus on previous occasions, and still more are brought into the fold after, uh, in these, these final two appearances, although some perhaps with more difficulty than others. When you listen to the demands of the Apostle Thomas, maybe he is speaking for more than just himself when he makes those demands. Perhaps he expresses those demands to behold Jesus in the flesh with all his senses, you know, to another, uh, to kind of be a voice for all others who are skeptical at that time. Maybe it's not just him. You could say that just as it required more than just the word from the women who came from the tomb who saw Jesus, the other disciples certainly wanted to see in the face as well. Why should Thomas be any different? Surprisingly, however, the demands of the doubtful apostle are precisely met. The Lord comes again and beckons Thomas as well as others perhaps, maybe in that moment, to to examine his wounds just as he had once insisted, you know, when he said he wouldn't believe otherwise. For a long time I used to wonder why Jesus, you know, I used to wonder if Jesus, you know, should rebuke him for his apparent lack of faith and the collective testimony of uh, the other fellow apostles. I mean, it'd be one thing to say, okay, there's one or two saw him and the rest didn't, but it's like he's all the others are ganging up on him. It says, no, we all saw it. We can't all be stuck in the same dream here. But he said, no, no, you all just can't, you, you can't get with, you can't get with the facts. You're having a hard time, you know, processing your grief, maybe. Not unless I can not only see, but reach in and touch, feel the presence. In um, maybe it's, uh, for the same reason that uh, you know when when Jesus doesn't rebuke him, maybe it's for the same reason that we are not censored as much as we probably could, as justice would demand in our own cases, where we fall short and some acknowledgement of faith, of faith or some obedience that we owe to it. But furthermore, faith must always be understood as a gift. It's not an enigma we discover or figure out. It's, it's not, and it's not just the mysteries of faith that are gifts, but even the means by which we assent to the faith is a grace. It's a grace that you know, only the Savior can provide and is more than happy to provide. In a way, every generation of disciples, you know, depends on this particular kind of grace. And that's okay. The Christian life is not 
the fruit of our own keen aptitude or cleverness, as if the, the faith were a matter of putting you know, the pieces of you know, a massive puzzle together properly. If it were, I think there'd be as few as ten Christians alive today, if that. But thanks be to God, you know, it doesn't have to be. The name Didymus, which is assigned to Thomas, is Greek for the for the um, is Greek, which means twin. And in light of that, I think the church appropriately remembers him as a resemblance of all other disciples that hope to be followers and those who want to hope to continue being followers. We all bear a kind of resemblance. He's he's like a, a twin brother to us all. Like the apostles so long ago, most all will demand to see the word you and I profess made flesh. Not just listen to it or hear about it. They want to see it, behold it, touch it in a manner of speaking. It's not enough for the good news to simply roll off the lips, as it may so easily do sometimes. The gospel is needed to become incarnate for everybody. It's for this reason that Jesus says, As the Father has sent me, so do I send you. The mission instruction doesn't mean because the Father has sent me, so I will send you, but rather in the same way in which the Father has sent me, so will you be sent. So, as I have convinced you, so will you become convincing. I think that's why at the end of the octave we celebrate the mystery of divine mercy. That is the nature. It's the nature of mercy. Not simply to hold back the dangers of sin, but to make salvation convincible. St. Thomas Aquinas said that merely a pinprick's worth of blood from Jesus would have been been sufficient to hold back the pains of death that we were destined for. But a God who is an all-loving God is not one who exercises his works like a minimalist. This is why divine mercy teaches us that salvation means more than preventing his creation from slipping into the fires of perdition. He expends every last drop in sacrifice to inspire all of us, not simply to avoid some catastrophe, but to lovingly ascend with him to a loving father of us all. That takes a courage. More than simply avoiding danger. It takes more faith to accept a life than than the faith that just requires avoiding danger. And that is why we are sent out to proclaim this part of the mystery. God takes no offense at being ours especially when we demand so much of him. Because love demands confidence. Mercy demands trust. 
And our Savior is willing to bear all the pains necessary to win it. The very first of the Ten Commandments, as you may remember, from the book of Leviticus begins, I am the Lord your God. Not everyone will just take that as a given. But it will have to be proven. And our Savior went to the very end and expended every part of himself to prove it. Now as we celebrate it, as we're sent out, as Jesus said, I send you out in like manner to, send, to share this message and encourage others. We'd better be willing. We'd better be ready, just as Jesus did, to bear and expose wounds lovingly. That is mercy. That is the grace by which everybody can say, my Lord and my God. Thanks be to God.